0: Okay, so for tonight we have three places we're going, so I'm going to march right along. So the first place is I'm going to wind up with, uh, we didn't get a chance really to spend much time in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, kind of want to wrap that conversation up a little bit, and then we're going to go and talk about about, um, practical ways to use the gifts. And it's going to be, that part's going to be really good for you. And then we're going to wind up number three with how to walk in the spirit rather than the flesh. So we have a lot to cover tonight. So let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you want to turn there. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So here we go. So this is Paul speaking. And he says, so eagerly pursue And seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim and earnestly desire and cultivate the the spiritual endowments, the gifts, especially that you may prophesy, interpret divine will and purpose. For one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands his meaning because he utters in the spirit secret truths. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies who interprets the divine will of God speaks to men for their upbuilding and constructive spiritual progress and encouragement and consolation. He who speaks in a strange tongue edifies and improves himself, but he who prophesies edifies and improves the church and promotes growth in Christian wisdom, piety, holiness, and happiness. So, this answers Jen's question from last week is tongues the ultimate gift? And Paul says no not even close. We use it for a prayer language, but prophecy is the, is the best gift because it edifies and encourages the body, and tongues does not do that. Tongues does encourage and edify us, but not like prophecy. And remember, the purpose of the gifts is for the body, to give, to help people with, with whatever they need help with, to encourage them, to edify them, and to exhort them, and prophecy does that. So he answers that question very nicely for us. Now let's flip over to the next page and look at 12 and a couple of more verses. So verse 12. So he says, Since you are so eager and ambitious to possess these gifts of the Holy Spirit, concentrate, strive to excel, and to abound in them in ways that build up the church. So here again, he's talking about publicly building up the church. Now flip over to verse 15. Then Paul says, what am I to do? So I will pray with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that was in with me, but I will also pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. I will sing with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that it was in, that is within me, but I will also sing intelligently with my mind and understanding also. So in here, he's, taught, he's switched over from the public use of tongues to the private use of tongues. And I looked that up in the Greek just to make certain of that. And so in the Greek, when it says prayer, it means prayer. It doesn't mean anything fancy. So when we're praying in the Spirit, we're praying in the Spirit. And that is edifying for us definitely. So often when we're um, worshiping and praising God, You run out of English words, and it's kind of nice to be able to move into tongues in your prayer and worship in your private time. But Paul is saying here publicly, he would rather have people speak in English so that everybody can understand what's being said, and everybody can be edified. Does this make sense? Okay. I think it does too. Now, I have also said to you that there are church cultures who do this really well, that I listen to on a regular basis, and actually they do it beautifully. And their services are orderly and spirit-led, they're never chaotic and never disruptive. But if we go back to the context of why Paul was writing to them, the Corinthian church was very immature and they were all about using these gifts all at the same time in a chaotic, disorderly fashion. And so Paul has written chapters 12, 13, and 14 for us So, because he had to set them straight and say, all right, you guys got to calm down here and chill out. And this is how I want you to do the gifts. 20 of you don't come with gifts that that you disrupt your service. And later on in that same chapter, you can read it for yourself. He says two or three at most would speak publicly and the rest hold your tongue and be quiet so that it's not disorderly and disruptive. So he gives lots of really plain practical instruction in chapter 14. And I don't want to spend too much more time on it than that. Any questions on chapter 14? That's pretty much the gist of it. Yes, I am. Yes, thank you for asking, though. I I do need somebody to second-guess me. (laughs) Okay, so um, now let's talk about church. Inside the church and outside the church, at work, at school, and family and friends. How can we demonstrate the gifts or display the gifts of the Spirit in these ways? And so this will be interesting for you. I think it's not necessary that we super-spiritualize the gifts. I think we can just be ordinary, practical Christians everywhere we go, in every situation we find ourselves, and we're going to talk about practical ways to do that. So we want to know how to further partner with the Holy Spirit in our everyday walking around life because these were not meant to be used in just a church service they were meant to be lived and walked out so let's start with galatians 2:20 so let's turn there and see what paul has to say about that galatians 2:20 one of my favorite verses And so it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in him, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I have a new nature through the Holy Spirit living in me. So the gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit's life in us. And when we release God's perspective and his thoughts in a word of knowledge or prophecy, we're sharing God's heart with other people. And that's what we want to be able to do everywhere we go. So here's a couple of ways this works. When we release his heart in for solutions, we are giving a word of wisdom or a word of faith. When we are releasing his power, we're releasing miracles and healing. When we're releasing um, God's ideas and perspectives, that's a word of knowledge, or that's a word of prophecy. So let's give an example. Um, Terry, this would be for you. So if you're a teacher, you could pray about a struggling student if you don't know how to meet their needs or you don't know what's going on. God may give you a word of knowledge or a prophetic word for that student, just some insight for them in a way that you could come alongside them and help them. And you wouldn't say, I have a word of knowledge from the Lord, but you might be able to encourage that student in a way that you hadn't understood before. And in the book that I was reading, there's lots of examples when this they gave this really um, pages and pages about this teacher who was really spirit-filled, and he just had a heart for all of his students. He was a math teacher. And he had a couple of struggling students, didn't know why. Their grades had begun to plummet, and, and he, they weren't talking. So he went to the Lord and said, what's going on? And God gave him some insight, and he went to the kids, and he said, I see that you're struggling. Um, is this, could this be the reason? And they said, yes, this is the reason. He was able to come alongside them. They were struggling with their identity. Well, he didn't know that. And he was able to say they're struggling with their identity and it's and it's messing up their math, it's messing up their schoolwork and everything. And he was able to come around side those students and help them. So let's say that you are a CEO or a business executive. The Holy Spirit can supply you with creative divine solutions on how to grow your company, on how to get along with your coworkers. And this could go for parents as well. Shoot, as parents, do we need the Holy Spirit more than ever? We don't know what's going on in our kids' heads half the time, so we need a word from the Lord about what our kids are going through so we can come alongside them and encourage them. So these are all practical ways that God uses the gifts in everyday life. May
1: I share practical?
0: You may. Please do. So uh, Saturday
1: I ran into a um, recant community action house. Somebody came in needing help. And, um, she just came to my mind when I was praying for her on Sunday morning, her husband has some large medical bills and, um, God just reminded me about like that sometimes hospitals will help out with the medical bills. Mm-hmm. So on Monday I'd reached out to her and I just said, Hey, like it came to my mind on Sunday and I wanted to let you know that I was thinking about you mm-hmm. and, um, I wanted to like give you this insight that you might want to call the hospitals to check out and see if they'll be able to help with some of your medical bills. Um, and so I didn't say, like, no one told
0: me. No, no, <laughs> no. You know, but no. like, just
1: let her, you know, <coughs> reach out, let her know that she was on my mind. and yeah.
0: That is a great example. That's yeah. a great example. And lots of times we think we've come up with these ideas on our own, but we really haven't. Oh, yeah. Most it was totally of the time. During
1: my prayer time when she came totally, my yeah. yeah. That's
0: that's such a great, and that is a practical way we can use the gifts. And we, and all of us can do that. All we don't have to super spiritualize this. This can be, and God doesn't want us to. He wants us to use it in our everyday walking around lives. So. What if we're not in a church setting? Um, let's talk about some ways we can say some things, because sometimes we need practical ways we can say stuff, right? So rather than saying, I have a word of prophecy for you, you could say to someone, I feel like I need to share, share this thing with you, and I hope this encourages you. Now, who doesn't want to hear that? Everyone does. But you didn't, you didn't mention that God showed it to you, You didn't super spiritualize it and you didn't make them feel like you're up here and they're down here because we don't ever want to do that. Because remember, the gifts are for other people. So how about this one for a word of wisdom? Yes, go ahead. I'm feeling
1: confused in my head because I feel like then we're not giving God the glory.
0: Well, really I'm going to get to that. Okay. I'm, yeah, but that you were talking about non-believers here in okay, a non-church setting. Okay, no, yeah, yeah. So I, when we talk amongst ourselves, okay. well, when we talk no. um, when we talk amongst <laughs> ourselves, um, that in, for spiritual believers we can say those things. But if you're talking about somebody who has no idea what a spiritual gift is or a word of right. knowledge, they're going to go what? And you may cut off communication. And i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna answer okay. that question in just a second. Let me just it's like on this page, so we're we're close, we're close. So what about a word of wisdom? Instead of saying, "I have a word of wisdom for you," you could say, "You know, I think God has a solution or a way to fix this. And I hope you like his idea. And people will go, "Huh? I mean, if nothing else, it gives people a food for thought. Um, You could also say, I think I have been given a creative idea to solve this problem. And this will create conversation, and they'll say, well, where did you get this creative idea? And then you open the door for greater conversation. So how about discerning of spirits? That is definitely, you don't want to say, I have the gift of discerning of spirits for this situation. People will think you are kooky. So you don't (laughs) want to say that. So you might say, (laughs) they will. You might say, you know what? I think something is off with this person or this situation. I think we need to pray, or or I should pray. Something like that. Because that's what we do when we think something is off. We need to pray and get further instructions from the Lord about that. So how about a word of knowledge? You could say, and this is what this teacher said, do you sometimes feel this way or think this is true about yourself? And then if they say yes, you can say, well, these are not the way God thinks about you. He thinks this way about you. A non-believer might really like to hear how God thinks about them because most unbelievers think God is mad at them. (laughs) And, and very much not loving them. They are misinformed about that. So that would be a wonderful thing to say to somebody. So if I have the gift of faith for every day, you could say, if, you, um, you could say if, if somebody is struggling with something or they need healing, you could say, could I pray? I think I have faith for that. Could I pray for you today? That would be something that you could say. So in non-church settings, you can phrase things differently to avoid being super spiritual or to avoid people thinking that you are better than they are. We don't ever want to convey that. Um, you can say things like, I sense you might be feeling this way. Are you experiencing some pain somewhere, and could I pray for you? Those are all wonderful practical ways you can do that. Now, do you see when I say those things that automatically could be a conversation starter as opposed to a conversation stopper because if that happens a couple of times with that person, they're going to eventually come to you and say, how do you know these things? Or who, how, do you, how do you sense these things? And then when they open that conversation door, then you're free to share the gospel. Well, I believe in Jesus Christ, and he shows us things, and that's in our Bible. And he can show us things and tell us things so that we can help people that we're around. And it's as simple as that. It doesn't need to be super spiritualized in any way. And people end up feeling loved and cared for and seen and heard, which is exactly what God wants. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. Does this make sense? Remember, that's the purpose of the gifts.
2: I have a comment about... Yes.
0: Yes. And we were in a, a training session out in Maui, and
2: a guy once shared. He's the leader of this facility, <laughs> and so he constantly get people say, "Oh, yeah, you you taught so well. You did this. Or what you did whatever." And even in the Christian mm-hmm. setting, mm-hmm. they'll say, "You, you, you." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he so eloquently explained how wow. he managed that. And I won't ever be as eloquent as he was, but he said, when people say that to me, Christian or not, Mm -hmm. I imagine that I have been given a flower. And the flower is full of beauty, full of color, full of aroma, and full of God's creation. Mm -hmm. And he keeps that flower, sometimes he'll make a bouquet, like at night, he'll go home and he'll put flowers in. Mm -hmm. And he says, and in my prayer time, I present that to God. Um, oh, wow! And I say, God, God, these were given to me, but they really belong to you. Oh, that is lovely. And I just want to say thank you for allowing me That's to great. have this moment of beauty and mm-hmm. creation, but they really belong to you. Mm-hmm. So, He physically, in His own private life, will take something. And then he presents it back to God.
0: That is so lovely. So, I
2: thought, so and I didn't do oh. flowers. I loved he was way more eloquent. <laughs> I loved what he said, Like, I will do marbles and just collect a jar of marbles and then mm-hmm. he, and he said, Whenever I see those flowers, I know that I have been given a gift of God that really belongs to him. That is so, so I lovely. Just it was so beautiful.
0: Oh, and, I will remember that forever and love that.
2: That's actually a right, ten boom quote. Is it?
0: it is. Oh, that's awesome.
1: So, yeah, she she always has a really good word
2: for well, a lot of things, but yeah. especially in regards yeah. to that.
0: That's uh, excellent. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's a really good picture.
2: It's so picture and it's yeah. so physical, and you don't have to say it to the person, right? You know, it wasn't me; it was God. Right. Yeah, you just give all glory to God. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we're going to move on to the third thing. But any comments or questions about about using the gifts naturally or
2: even just to go back to that, even like when we ask for okay, so how can I, I show this person wisdom or whatever, and how how do I do that? And you know, if we acknowledge even at that point that
0: this of glory. Doesn't that work too? Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I was
2: thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: God is aware of our motives. Yes. And so, and, for, and, and motives is everything. He knows if you're using the gifts for, to be seen or to be noticed or for his glory, he knows. And so just make sure your motives are always pure and that you really are doing something for the glory of God. That's the most important thing. And just keeping that in the back of your mind that the gifts are not for you, they're for others. Yeah. Yeah. This is how the body, this is how God made the body to work so that we all function in different roles and different gifts. And that's how the body hums right along as they're supposed to. When we have huge chunks of people that aren't in the body that are supposed to be, it doesn't work as well. So we want all the gifts in operation all the time. Okay, let's switch over now, switch gears completely to um, walking in the spirit. So now flip over to Romans 7. I really want to start in Romans 8, but we've got to get the context. And so we're going to start in Romans 7. And I'm going to start with verses 18. Okay, here we go. 18 and 19. And I'm going to jump around. So, so it, for the sake of time, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I am ever doing. So now move down to 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present within me, and I am subject to its insistent demands. Verse twenty-four: Oh unhappy and pitiable and wretched man that I am! Who will release and deliver me from this body of death? And then verse twenty-five says this. Oh thank God, He will, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I, indeed, I myself, with the mind and heart, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So really this is saying that the flesh is our sinful nature, our self-indulgence, um, and it is it, it is at war with our spirit and the Holy Spirit. And so the rest of what we're going to study in Romans 8 is how do we conquer that? And yes, and how the Holy Spirit I, helps us do that.
1: I just wanted to say I'm really like, because I didn't know you were going to talk about that today. But yeah, I had I I thought about this verse specifically this week. Oh so wow! Oh wow! Talk
0: about the Holy Spirit working. He planted that. Oh, that's awesome! That is so awesome! All right, so let's roll right into chapter eight, verses one and two. And Paul says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk, not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. So he calls the Holy Spirit this time, the spirit of life. And he is the one who changes us and gives us victory over sin. Trying harder never works. That's what Paul was referring to in chapter 7. When we partner with the Holy Spirit, he's our helper to help us overcome sin and temptation and anything that's not of God. And as we yield more and more to him, we are freed from slavery and bondage to our sinful nature. So let's keep going, and let's go to verse 5 and 6, because this tells us how we are to do this. So those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires, they set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit and controlled by the desires of the spirit, they set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the spirit. Now the mind of the flesh is death. And the miseries arising from sin, both here and after. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and peace, both now and forever. So the whole idea or, or notion here is setting your mind. This is not passive. This is you setting your mind and making a decision how to do this. And that Greek word phronio means walking in the spirit has to do with what you set your mind on. So we choose to, this doesn't happen automatically, the Holy Spirit doesn't magically come on Tanya and fix her. She has,
2: I know, I know
0: I wish it were so, but it's not, that's not how it happens. We line up with the Holy Spirit and we partner with him. He and I, we work together and I put myself in his path so he can work in me. Does that make sense? We partner together and I set my mind with his, And I'm determined and choosing to do that. Now, Galatians has a lot to say about this, too. So let's head there next. We're going to go to Galatians 5 and 6, chapter 5. And I'm going to read 16 through 18. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, and then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh. For they are antagonistic to each other, continually in conflict with each other, so that you're not free but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. But if you are guided by the Spirit— You are not subject to the law. So I love this. This is super practical. This talks about how we conduct our life, the habits we do have, the things we practice, the things we behave in as habits. And so we all know we can change a habit. We all know we can. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we most definitely can. Now let's turn the page. We're still in Galatians 5, and now we're in 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and appetites and desires. And if we live by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit and go after it, walking in line, our conduct completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. So every one of these verses implies that we need to be an active participant in every way. None of these verses if you look up the verbs in all these verses walking and living and doing things they're all continuous it's not a one and done thing it's something we get up every day and make a decision to do to walk in the spirit so if somebody says well I did I made that decision one day I'm I'm sorry but you got to get up tomorrow and make that decision as well it's not a one and done it's continuous okay let's we're winding down now. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3. This is a lovely verse that I think I want us to kind of sink in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read 17 and
2: 18. There we
0: go. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, there's freedom. And all of us, as with unveiled face, continue to behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transformed into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." So as we behold him, as we keep our attention on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he will transform us over time. So this is like a lifetime of doing this. This doesn't happen in a week or even a year. This is a lifetime of continually walking and beholding the Lord. And we've talked practically on how to do that. We've talked about setting the atmosphere with praise and worship, right? so that your mind is definitely fixed on Jesus. We've talked about getting quiet, asking God a question, tuning into the flowing thoughts that are coming in your mind as you're looking at Jesus and fixing your mind on him, and then journaling. Those are ways that we can do that. So I wanted to read you something that God showed me this week. I have a couple of journal entries, because I'm always asking the Lord how what he wants me to teach on. And what he wants me to say. And I thought this was awesome. So this would be on uh, November 10th of this week. And, that's, and I said, what do you want me to say about this week? And there are three things. And I think they were awesome. Absolutely amazing. And so he says, I want you to keep my promises and my word and my face ever, ever before you. And do not allow anything to become larger than me. And I know that we've talked about that before. God has to be bigger than anything else that's going on in your life, or you're going to get flipped and your vision is going to get on that thing and God is going to feel small to you. Don't want to do that. So that was the first thing. Then the next thing he said was walking in the spirit means that the soul and the body are subject to your spirit man. This must be an intentional and a daily choice for you. Your soul must not be in charge. Some of you may not realize your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Not sanctified by the Spirit. Your mind, will, and emotions. You, your soul must not be in charge. And he and he explained this. People who are emotional all the time and unsteady in life have this out of order. How wise is that? This is but there's good news. You can change this with some discipline and consciously choosing how to live. I have a part, he said, but you must all work with me and take your part and do your part as well. Choose me, choose life, choose goodness and beauty. And then he said a very profound thing. People who walk in the spirit make a decision to do so. People who walk in the spirit make a decision to do so. They change their habits They change their schedules, their friends, and whatever they choose to spend their time on. They clear their life of time wasters, people wasters, and anything ungodly that would compete with my spirit, because you cannot have your foot in both worlds. Is that awesome? Does that sound like the Lord? It does. That sounds like what we just read. We read a bunch of things that talked about that. And, I, and he gave me this before I looked up any of these verses. I just thought that was so great. So walking in the spirit is super intentional. It's not something that happens to you or comes upon you. You choose it and you partner with it. Make sense? Okay. What's people, wasters. Like people who are not yes.
2: in, the right, in the right path or distracting you. Or...
0: And we all have those people. Don't we? Don't we? We all have those people. I bet you can think of two or three right now without even thinking too hard. And issues in your life that you know are just taking time that you could better spend with the Lord. Um, I had to lay a lot on the altar when I decided to follow God and, and decided to follow the Holy Spirit. I had to lay a lot on the altar. And at first, when God asked me to not do this anymore or this anymore or this anymore or be friends with this group of people... I thought, wow, this is just too much. I don't know if I can do it. But I did say yes, and over time, I now I don't miss any of those things. And now I have so much more time to spend with the Lord, and I love it. So it, it will feel hard at first if you ask him what things that he wants you to give up, and some of it might be good stuff. Like, I'll just go ahead and say this. It might be busy church work. <laughs> he, might, he might have you stop doing something that, you're doing too much of because you don't have any time to be alone with him and to be quiet with him It's because that has to be first before we get busy for God we have to be with God does that make sense God wants our personal attention and our intimacy and our relationship more than he wants us to be involved in X, Y, Z yeah that's what we're made for what?
2: it's interesting to me Decision to walk with the spirit yeah. so my first thought is that implies not walking with the spirit is also a decision mm-hmm. except, exactly well except I'm, that's what I'm pondering mm-hmm. because what about yeah. you know these friends or these family members that I, I don't know who am I to judge were there but they don't appear to be right. following Christ so I'm right. thinking they don't are they making a conscious decision not to do that Or they not
0: informed enough? It could be both. You know what I mean? Yes, it could be either one. Some people, well, you know, I think it can be both. Um, Years ago, I was in a small group with ladies, with a group of actually couples, and it was right when I was learning this, and I really wanted to go deep in this group, and I was suggesting... Um, some books that were pretty deep and they were all like, Oh my gosh, she's crazy. And so, and so finally, um, this one lady just piped up and she said, you know, Marta, I'm going to be honest with you. I just don't want to go that deep and I don't want to know God that well. And she, she verbalized that. And I was just like, wow. But she was being honest. And so I think that there are people who just don't want to do that. And I was just like, but I thanked her for being honest because no one else, everyone else was thinking that but she's the only one that said it. Mm-hmm. And my reply to her was, well, I'm 54 years old. If I don't follow him now, then when? Because I'm, at the, I'm definitely on the second half of my journey and, it's, and I'm not getting any younger. And so I left the group and did something else because it was time.
2: But I'm talking about not those people. right."
0: Like people that you, your family or
2: family are living out that have been introduced to Christ right. and they don't want anything to do with them and they don't even know about the Spirit. Right. Do you know what right. I'm saying? Yes, yes. So are they making a conscious decision or they're going, yeah, whatever. Actually. It can be. Or maybe they don't even. Yeah. You know, Some right, people just aren't aware. Unaware. Like, yeah. so I don't want to use the term ignorant but not in a bad way. No,
0: they're but just so unaware. Just unaware. Yeah. just unaware. So they're unaware um, and sometimes people are just afraid. They're afraid to give up that control, because when we partner with the Holy Spirit, we have to give up a certain amount of control and let him lead and guide, and a lot of people just don't want to do that. They struggle with pride and arrogance and stubbornness, and they just want to do things their way, and the Holy Spirit will eventually guide you his way, and you will have to make some choices in the forks of the road that you choose, and some people just aren't willing to do that but we can always have conversations about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I also think growing up like I don't know in a reformed Christian form background like you don't yeah. talk a lot about this mm-hmm. and so I feel like a lot of the friends that I have that are right. Christian faithful friends don't right. really know about the Holy Spirit and 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 so I've been I've been trying to be like gentle like right. with them like have you thought about listening prayer and kind of go at it for that instead of, you know, the, and just introducing softly and gently. That's
0: a great idea. I didn't know before either because I was not in in a church that taught anything about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, So I think we've all been there. Yeah. Um, And I think the best thing we can do is have conversations with people we know and share with what's worked for you and how the Holy Spirit has made your life special and different. And how, what you've learned, you can, you can always um, suggest books or songs or podcasts to people if they're interested in learning more, or you can just have coffee with them. I did that when I first started learning I had coffee with lots of people because people are really willing to hear one-on-one. And especially if you just have stories of how God has worked and shown you things, people love to hear testimonies. And you can't argue with somebody's testimony. You know, it's your testimony. You can't say it's not real, it's my testimony. It's This is as real as it gets. So there are ways, but you're right. Most of those things are true. And so we just have to keep pressing in, walking with people and with lots of grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never ever, because I was that person. So I can't ever come and say to someone, shame on you for not knowing this, because yep. I was that person. Mm-hmm. And so, and, I, and it's been just as fresh enough in my mind to remember that I was that person. So I want to, I want, and I was also treated by some people in a, another church, not very nicely because they felt they were above me spiritually and were kind of looked down on me. Yes. And that felt crummy. Mm-hmm. So I would never want to do that to someone. Mm-hmm. You always want to make people feel lovely and heard and seen always 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 always
1: and I I because I actually had that this week too where I was just kind of not I was just having a rough time and I was kind of just mm-hmm. feeling like what do I how do, how do I wrap my brain around making God the main because he's a huge part of my life mm-hmm. but sometimes he is the main thing and sometimes he's not how right do I make that more consistent mm-hmm. and what he revealed to me was more of just like ask me to show you how yeah, back it's him,
0: Absolutely right? true. I gotta
1: try to make him
0: the part And the your God rational thinking is, like, is kicking in, not the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's just, right. like, just ask be, me. Mm-hmm. Just just ask. Just ask. I mean, just ask. Yeah. 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 Okay, we've got one more place to go. I promised you last week I'd talk about this. Uh one more scripture. Um, First Thessalonians, I, t- I promised you I'd talk about what grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit, because I feel like that's as important to know as how to partner with Him, because there are things that can grieve the Holy Spirit and quench Him in our lives, and we, we want to know what those things are. So I'm looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. There we go, I got it. And I'm going to do 19 and 20. And so Paul says here, Do not quench. And in parentheses it says, Suppress or subdue the Holy Spirit. Do not spurn the gifts and utterances of the prophets. Do not depreciate prophetic revelations or despise inspired instruction or exhortation or warning. So that's the first half. And then flip with me to Ephesians. You don't have to if you don't want to. If you want to just listen... I'm happy to read this for you. I'm going to go to Ephesians 4. He really gets into it here. And I'm going to start in verse 22. So Paul says to the church in Ephesus, "'Strip yourselves of your former nature, "'which characterized your previous manner of life "'and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires "'that spring from delusion.'" Verse 23, "'And be consistently renewed in the spirit of your mind, "'having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude.'" Now, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not offend him or vex or sadden him by whom you are sealed, marked as God's own for the day of redemption in the final deliverance through Christ from evil. Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath and bad temper and anger and quarreling and bawling and slander and abusive and blasphemous language be banished from you with all malice of any kind. So those are things that can grieve the spirit. So when we talk about grieving the spirit or quenching the spirit... He will not partner with anything that's not godly. Because remember, he's the Holy Spirit. So anything that is unholy, he will not partner with that. He will not. He cannot. It's, not, it's like oil and water. They just won't mix no matter how hard you try. So the first thing that quenches him or, or saddens him is disobedience and, and intentional sin. Intentional sin. That's an obvious one, but here are some few more that aren't quite as obvious. It also quenches him when we don't allow him to guide us and we choose our own way instead. Because when he wants to guide us, he's speaking to us. And if we walk in stubbornness or pride or arrogance, that says to the Holy Spirit, I know better than you and I'm doing it my way. That's a big no-no and the, another one is not listening for his voice and pursuing intimacy with him you quench him so people who don't listen who who don't hear the spirit have practiced not listening for years because the, the longer you go without listening the less you will hear his voice because it's a still small voice that we know we have to get quiet and pursue and ask of him before we hear he's not loud And so when we don't allow his voice to speak, we eventually just can't hear him anymore, and that quenches him in our life. And the fourth thing that I wrote down, which is very important, is when we speak or believe negative words that are in opposition to the word and to the Lord in any way, we quench the spirit. Because our words are like seeds. And I've talked about this before. What you say is so vitally important. Your speech and the things you believe in should line up with the word of God. And when it doesn't, you shouldn't have spoken. Because we can't be in opposition. The Holy Spirit will not partner with you if you're in opposition with the word. So I'm talking about things like negative speech, like... um, saying that your identity is in something other than God says, your identity is a child of God, a son or a daughter. You are none of these other things. you may feel like that. So we don't want to, we want to stay away from verse words that say, I am or I have that speak to our identity because God says, nope, this is who you are. We can say, I could struggle with this or I have a problem with this, but you want to stay away from identity statements because those aren't true. That's not what God says about you. So we want to be real careful with our words. And if we can't think of something positive and from the word, we should be quiet and not say anything at all. And I know that's hard, but God really does look at our words and our words sow things into the atmosphere in ways that we really will reap what we sow. And our words are something that we sow because they're something that goes out into the atmosphere.